I'm telling you, I have been waiting for today for some time. Isaiah 54, if you could see my Bible, is one of my favorite texts in the whole Bible. And I just can't wait to walk through it with you and to preach from these words. Many of them I have memorized over the years. What a great text it is. I want to talk to you today about the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Can we put that on the screen? The heritage of the servants of the Lord. And it's from Isaiah 54. What kind of heritage, what kind of inheritance, what kind of legacy are you going to leave to your family? I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about what kind of spiritual heritage are you going to leave with your children and your grandchildren and the others to come on after them. Chapter 54 is one of the greatest chapters in the book of Isaiah, and we're going to walk through this amazing text, and I want us to talk about the heritage of the servants of the Lord. The first thing I want you to see, and we're going to just, it's long, so we'll just walk through it as we go. God blesses His servants with the heritage, number one, of fruitfulness, fruitfulness. Look at verses 1 through 3, verse 1, shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed, that is, travailed in giving birth. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the merry one, says the Lord. Now, as we've talked over and over, the Israelites had been suffering as slaves in a foreign land for decades. That's why Isaiah called them, O barren one. They were barren spiritually. But now he said, it's time to shout for joy. It's time to break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. I hope that you learn to shout before you get to heaven, because if you don't like shouting, you're not going to like heaven, all right? Well, they're shouting in heaven and they're shouting in hell. They're shouting terrors in hell. They're shouting praises in heaven. Eternity is loud. If you don't like that, just keep trying to be healthy, all right? I guess that's all I can tell you. Don't die. Break forth into joyful shouting. Cry aloud. For decades, they had not given birth. They had not travailed. They had not multiplied. But now things were about to change. The sons of the desolate one, the poorest person, would be more numerous than the sons of the married one. The desolate widow would bear more children, more sons, more daughters than the married woman. Israel was going to be fruitful again, a flourishing nation. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. And because of that new growth, they were going to be need a bigger house. Have you ever needed a bigger house? The Bible says in verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your pegs. Your children are about to multiply, Israel. So, five verbs, enlarge, stretch, 
Spare not, lengthen and strengthen. You're about to grow exponentially. It's time to enlarge and to stabilize your tents. Verse 3, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. You're going to return to your native land of Jerusalem and Israel. Your descendants, your future offspring are going to possess not only Israel, but their neighboring nations as well. Israel, you're about to have many children. You're going to be fruitful again. God Almighty can make any barren Christian spiritually fruitful. I was reading this week about a chaplain of the United States Senate. His name was Richard Halverson. He was the pastor of the Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland for many years. And he was also the chaplain of the U.S. Senate for many years. And for a long time, he always prayed the same benediction at the end of the service. He prayed this over his congregation. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ, who indwells you by the power of His Spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in His grace, His love, His power. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. He prayed that over his congregation every week at the end of the service. He wanted his flock to be fruitful every day as they lived and worked throughout their lives. I want to tell you, God wants you to be a fruitful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said the night before he died in John 15, verse 5, Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know what you can do without Jesus? Nothing. You can't breathe. You can't think. The only reason you're in your right mind, the only reason you were able to get here today, not because of you, but because God was gracious to you today. The only reason you can even comprehend what I'm trying to say right now is the grace of the living God. You've got to get down on your face and thank God every day for how good He's been to you. He will give you fruitfulness. If you have been blessed in any way, every good gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. God wants us to have the heritage of fruitfulness. Secondly, God blesses His servants with the heritage of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Write that down. Has God been faithful to you? Four of you, He has. All right. Good. The rest of you apparently don't think He's been faithful to you. I wouldn't say that to Him if I were you. I'll give you another shot. Has God been faithful to you? Yes. Amen. Thank you. Look at verse 4. Fear not. And by the way, this is a word, a specific word for somebody here today. 
I call it a rhema from the Lagos, a word from the Word. Please listen. Some of you have been praying for this very verse. Here it comes. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. Don't feel humiliated. You will not be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. The Lord had finished disciplining His children. He said, you will no longer be put to shame. You will not feel humiliated. You will not be disgraced. You're going to forget the shame of your youth. How many of you ever did something that when you were a kid that you're ashamed of now? Anybody out there? The rest of you telling a bald-faced lie. Amen. All right. You ought to be ashamed of not being ashamed. Amen. All right. Don't feel humiliated. Don't feel disgraced. Forget the shame of your youth, the reproach of your widowhood. You'll remember no more. God's giving you grace. God's giving you mercy. The Lord was ready to bless His people as His bride again. Look at verse 5. For your husband is your creator, your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife, forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. The Lord had kicked out his unfaithful wife, Israel, and had sent her into all kinds of slavery in Babylon and Assyria and all these other places because Israel had cheated on him spiritually. She had worshiped pagan gods. She had committed spiritual adultery, and God kicked her out of the land, divorced her temporarily. But now He's graciously taking her back, taking her back. It reminds me of a godly man in the Old Testament named Hosea. God went to this man, and he was praying one day, and God said, I want you to marry someone. He said, oh, wonderful, wonderful. He said, yes. Her name is Gomer, and she is a prostitute. Do what? You heard me. I want you to marry a harlot. I want you to marry a prostitute. And they had three children. And after they had three children, two sons and a daughter, Gomer, Hosea's wife, returned to prostitution. And then God had the audacity to say, now take her back. Now think about that. It's one thing to marry her to begin with. But then when she cheated on him, he take her back. Take her back. He went to an auction block, apparently, and there she was. Sold as a slave, he bought her back. Even though she had been unfaithful to him. Hosea, we read it in Hosea 3, then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. Now, why is God doing this? Well, here's the line right here. Look, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back. Look at me. Jesus didn't die on the cross when you and I were at our best. He died for us when we were spiritual prostitutes 
being unfaithful to him. You ought to get down on your face and thank God for his grace. My fellow sinful brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord today. Fear not. You will not be put to shame. Don't feel humiliated. You will not be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth. Somebody ought to be shouting right about now. The reproach of your widowhood, you will remember no more. Satan made you a slave to sin, but Jesus bought you with his blood and the grace of God, and you can rejoice, repentant sinner. Your husband is your maker. His name is the Lord of hosts. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when he, she is rejected, says your God. People may reject you, but when you repent, God will embrace you. I'd rather be embraced by God and shunned by people than shunned by God and embraced by people. Amen. I performed a wedding here at Bellevue last night. I saw the groom. I, I, first, I saw the, the bride coming down the aisle, and I just glanced at the groom. And bless his heart, he was crying. He couldn't believe how beautiful his bride looked. And look at me. You may not feel like a beautiful bride, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been washed thoroughly. And when God looks at you, he has tears of joy in his eyes, just like that young man last night. He wants you to be his bride. He wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're the bride of Christ, and he has given you the heritage of faithfulness. He will be faithful to you. You need to be faithful to him as well. Amen? Amen. Well, let's move on. You say, how many points? You'll understand at the end of the sermon. All right, number three. God bless. I'm so tickled that y'all don't have my outline. Number three, God blesses his servants with the heritage of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Look at verse seven. For a brief moment, isn't that something? It had been 50 or 60 years, 70 years, whatever. For a brief moment, shows you how God views time, doesn't it? For a brief moment, I forsook you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. For a brief moment, 70 years, God had forsaken Israel at least kicked them out of Israel. Seven decades, and God called it a brief moment. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, to the Lord, a thousand years is like a day. And he's quoting there from the book of Psalms. God briefly forsook Israel, but then he lovingly regathered them. Look at verse 8. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness, I'll have compassion on you. He bought Israel back. He was the Lord, their Redeemer. And then God said in verse 9, for this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness, my faithfulness will not be removed from 
you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. I made a covenant of peace with Noah through a rainbow, God says. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. The mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake, but the loving kindness of the Lord will not be removed from you. God was telling His people that He had forgiven them completely. His covenant of peace would not be shaken. How many of you are grateful that the Lord has had compassion on you and forgiven you? Anybody? All right. Let me meddle just a little bit. If God has forgiven you, you need to forgive every person who has wronged you, whether they ask you to or not. Because if you don't, God says, I won't forgive you. The one thing that will prevent you from being forgiven is unforgiveness toward others. Everybody wants forgiveness, but not everybody wants to forgive other people who've wronged them. R.T. Kendall preached here, I believe it was last summer. He's well into his 80s. He loves the Lord. That's him in our pulpit, I believe. He wrote a book called Total Forgiveness. I encourage you to buy that book and to devour it. Don't just read it. Devour it. Total forgiveness. And he says in that book, when we are bitter, we delude ourselves into thinking. Please listen. We delude ourselves into thinking when we're bitter that those who hurt us are more likely to be punished as long as we are set on revenge. We are afraid to let go of those feelings. After all, if we don't make plans to see that justice is done, how will justice be done? We make ourselves believe that it is up to us to keep the offense alive. That is a lie, the devil's lie. Don't take Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord, Romans 12, 19. We only hurt ourselves when we dwell on what has happened to us and fantasize about what it will be like when they get punished. Amen, Dr. Kendall. Amen. If we don't forgive others, we forfeit forgiveness for ourselves. Jesus wants you to receive forgiveness. He also wants you to give forgiveness. Jesus spoke about a man who was forgiven a huge debt by a king. But then that same man turned around and refused to forgive somebody that owed him him comparatively hardly anything. The Bible says the king, when he found out about it, rebuked that unforgiving man and said in Matthew 18, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? When the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus gave the punchline in verse 35. 
of Matthew 18. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I believe that unforgiveness is one of the major sins that many Christians commit. You get so high and mighty out there and you think that, well, they didn't apologize and I'm so-and-so, and I deserve to be treated in such a way. I got news for you. You don't want what you deserve. You better be praying for the grace of God. And whether they apologize or not, it's up to you to forgive them in the name of Jesus and give them over to God. God will take care of it. God blesses His servants with the heritage of forgiveness. Number four. There's only five. I'll let you in on it, all right? There's only five. I can hear somebody say, 60% through, 60% through. We're coming on now. We're coming. All right. Don't mess with me. I'll get out another point. Amen. All right. Look at verse 4 or verse 11. God blesses His servants with the heritage of foundations. God's going to give you a rich foundation. Jesus is your cornerstone. Look at verse 11. O afflicted one. Storm-tossed, not comforted. Behold, I'll set your stones in antimony. I'm going to make your foundation on antimony, and your foundations I will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I'll make your battlements of rubies, your gates of crystal, your entire wall of precious stones. God allowed pagans to destroy Jerusalem and the temple and all of their homes in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. But now God's promising to rebuild not only their lives, but Jerusalem and its foundations. And not just with rock, but rather with jewels, antimony, sapphires, rubies, precious stones. The Lord was not speaking about literal rubies. He was talking about the foundation of their children. Look at verse 13. All your sons. Take it contextually. I want to say this to you. Your children are your rubies. Your children are your diamonds. Your children are what's precious. All your sons will be taught of the Lord. And the well-being of your sons will be great. I pray that for our four children and all of our grandchildren every single day of my life. There's some verses you can't get away from. I pray that for our kiddos every day of my life. I pray this verse because the Lord was going to raise up new foundations, new children, new offspring for them. And these new foundations were a new generation of children who would love the Lord their God and worship Him and serve Him. How many of you want to see new generations love the Lord Jesus Christ after us? Don't you want to see that? Then pray that. Claim that. Stand on that. God blessed His servants with the heritage of foundations. This past summer, last summer, Don and I went to the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy. You can't see it in that second picture, but the Blairs are in that second picture. And then that's Donna standing with some old man. I don't know who that was, but anyway. <clears throat> it's 800, 
keep it up there. It's 850 years old. It's a tower, and it's in trouble. It's leaning more every year. It's 179 feet tall, and every year it leans one-twentieth of an inch farther. That doesn't sound like much, but when you start thinking about 850 years, that adds up to 17 feet. It's out of plumb 17 feet. You say, why are you telling us this? Because the foundation, it's very interesting what they put it on. It's right next to a church. They located it in a circular ditch, only 10 feet deep. And you know what the foundation of the Leaning Tower of Pizza is? Clay, sand, and shells. The problem with the Leaning Tower of Pizza is not the building, it's the foundation. What foundation do you have? Is it the world? Is it your own thoughts, your own ways, your worldly friends? Or is it the Bible and Jesus? What's your foundation? Jesus said, amen, I'm with you, brother. Jesus said in Matthew 7, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built upon the bedrock. But anyone who bears my teaching and hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand, like the Leaning Tower of Pizza. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. One of these days, somebody's going to hear about that tower completely falling over. It wasn't the tower's fault. They put it on a bad foundation. But I got news for you. The moment you get saved, you're not on a bad foundation. You're on a good foundation. And His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. These people that don't want Jesus, that don't want the Bible, they're leaning towers, are they not? And sooner or later, they're going to fall over. But I praise God the moment I gave my heart to Christ. He is my foundation. The Word of God is my foundation. And I thank God that God gives us that beautiful foundation of uh, our heritage of foundations. All of our sons are going to be taught of the Lord. The well-being of our children will be great. Well, the last one is this. God blesses His servants with the heritage of fruitfulness, faithfulness, forgiveness, foundations, and finally, I love this, with fearlessness. Fearlessness. You don't have to fear anything if you know Jesus Christ. You can't live in fear and please the Lord. You can't. The only person you should fear is the Lord Himself. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, don't fear man. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. God wants you to walk in fearlessness 
God went on to say in verse 14, in righteousness you will be established. God's righteousness. You say, I'm not a righteous person. The moment you got saved, you received Christ's righteousness, His perfect righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, if you've been born again, you are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one. If I'm in Him, I've got all of His righteousness. I don't want my righteousness. It's like filthy rags. I want His righteousness. The Lord went on to say in verse 14, you will be far from oppression. You will not fear and from terror. It will not come near you. Don't you fear being dominated by someone or something else? God will protect you from persecution and God will put a holy fearlessness in you. You will not fear any human being. You will not even fear the devil himself. The only one you will fear and revere is the Lord God Almighty. God said when people attack you, it won't be from him. Look at verse 15. If anyone fiercely attacks you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you, whoever comes against you will fall because of me. I had a seminary professor, T.W. Hunt. And he was talking to us one day. He said, you know, I was driving over here today and a man pulled out in front of me on the road and shook his fist at me and cursed at me. And I thought, oh my, he doesn't know who my father is. (laughs) He wasn't worried about getting back at the guy. He felt sorry for him. Next Next time somebody gets mad at you, Don't get mad at them. Feel sorry for them. Because God is going to wear them out. You don't have to do a thing. Just back off and say, Lord, they're all yours. They're all yours. I don't have to. Aren't you glad you don't have to defend yourself? Amen. Praise the living God. Praise the living God. I'm about to get happy up here. All right. God's weapons are mightier. And anything in the world, anything the devil can pull out. Look at verse 16. Behold, I myself have created the smith. That's the guy that makes things with metal. Who blows the fire of coals, brings out a weapon for its work. I've created the destroyer to run. This is an angelic being. A powerful angelic being. The destroyer is also called the hornet. In Deuteronomy 7, you say, Brother Steve, you've lost your mind. No, you had not read your Bible. Here it is. Deuteronomy 7, moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet. Again, not hornets. He's sending the hornet. That is an amazingly powerful angelic being. Until those who are left and hide themselves from you perish. You shall not dread them, for the Lord your God is in your midst. A great and awesome God, the Lord your God, will clear away these nations before you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, for the wild beasts will grow too numerous for you. God says, I'm going to do it a little at a time, but I will promise you I'm going to send the hornet. I'm going to send the destroyer. 
The devil is a fallen angel. And I got news for you. The hornet and the destroyer can handle the devil. Don't you worry about it. They're not afraid of him, and you don't have to be. God has mighty warrior angels. The Bible says in Psalm 91, another verse I pray every day, verses 10 and 11, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your dwelling. He, God, will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. All night, all day, angels watching over me, my Lord, all night. All day, angels watching over me. Let's give God praise for angels right now. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. No weapon, human or demonic, formed in fashion against you is going to succeed or prosper. When a human being or a demon attacks you, you as a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit will prevail. Every accusing tongue, whether it's human or demonic, will be condemned. You will condemn it. That's the categorical absolute protection that God gives to His children. We can be fearless. And why does God protect us? Verse 17, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Wonder where I got my title for this sermon. The heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. God leaves his children a legacy of fearlessness because he will protect us. You can be fearless today. When you fear God, you don't have to fear any man. When you fear God, you don't have to fear any devil. When you fear God, you don't have to fear anything in the world. You don't have to fear illness. You don't have to fear anything. Your life is in the hands of Almighty God. And if God is holding you, the devil can't take you out of God's hand. Amen. And you don't have a haughtiness. You don't have pride. But you are grateful and thankful that you can be fearless because Jesus Christ is watching over you. And anything that comes into your life, it could it be cancer, and say, God, praise you, heal me if you want to. If not, take me home, whatever you want. But let me glorify you even if it's cancer. Lord, I've lost my job. Praise you. Thank you that my job is not my provision. You are my provision. I will be fearless, Lord, of this world. I will not worry who's in the White House. I don't know who's in the White House, but I know who's in God's house. Amen. Amen. The throne of Almighty God is occupied at all times. You didn't elect him, and you're not going to impeach him. Amen. Amen. God's on the throne. I will be fearless. I will fear no devil. I will fear no demon. I will fear no person. I will only fear the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll revere him. Fearlessness. Man, I'll tell you what. Y'all are fun to preach with. Well, pretty strong sermon. 
Pretty wonderful text. So I'll end with this. God gives each of us an inheritance. Over the years, I have uh, watched people discuss inheritances. And it's kind of funny to watch it. A man died and left $50,000 in his will for an elaborate funeral. At the last, as the last attenders left the funeral, his wife, Rose, turned to her best friend, Sadie, and said, well, I sure hope Sam would be pleased with his funeral. She said, I'm sure he was, said Sadie. Now tell me, how much did Sam's funeral really cost? All of it, said Rose, $50,000. Sadie said, no way. Now it was nice. But $50,000? Really? Rose nodded. The funeral was $6,500. I gave the church $500 for letting us have the service there. The food and the drinks were another $500. The rest of the $50,000 went towards the memorial stone. Sadie replied, I don't know where I missed it but you're going to pay $42,500 for a memorial stone? How big is it? And Rose said, seven and a half carats. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Don't mess with a woman. Amen. Don't mess with a woman. Leave them alone. (laughs) I thought it was time for a little levity. Amen. All right. (laughs) How many of you are glad for the heritage God has left you? Amen. Think about it. Let's thank Him for His fruitfulness. Let's thank Him for His faithfulness. Let's thank Him for His forgiveness. Let's thank Him for these foundations in Christ. Let's thank Him for fearlessness. That's our God. That's our heritage. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.